0: So you feel like after 12 episodes, after we finish this episode, you are a podcaster. Is that correct?
1: I feel like I can change my title to podcaster at this point. I think before it's maybe like junior podcaster, but uh, I feel like we're there.
0: I clearly am not a podcaster because I just let a notification ring. And that's rule number one about (laughs) being a podcaster. Turn off
1: notifications. Oh, I feel like it's gone by so fast, though. Like we're already on the last episode.
0: I know. How was it? How was your experience working with me and doing this show?
1: Oh my gosh, it's been so fun. I think the first like four episodes, just so, so nervous. And then I just started having a lot more fun. I think what you kind of started telling me, the biggest thing that stuck with me is like, it's not about me. It's about the info and it's about the people. And I think once I kind of like let that click in my head is like when the light bulb lit up in my head and I'm a podcaster.
0: Okay, and also to to <laughs> clarify it wasn't me being so mean, like say if it's not about you, because <laughs> you know it could come off bad. But it's that's a tip that I always say to myself, which is what we were talking about that when people are nervous, including myself, we're usually making it about us and we're making it about, our fears of being judged or saying something wrong. But if you let that stop you from getting the messages out or sharing your findings on this investigation, like we are on an investigation to unpack money baggage, right? Like we're not promising that we're gonna give the best advice. We're not even giving advice. We legally cannot give advice, right? So it's like (laughs) this conversation I think is so important about money specifically that I'm glad that you overcame your fears and people can live vicariously through you and us.
1: Sure. I don't know if I'll ever fully get over the nerves, but enough to to just chuck it up with Joe, I guess. Did you like have any main takeaways? Like, what did you learn My from- My main
0: takeaway is like- Go ahead.
1: No, no, no. You, I'm sorry. It's been a while.
0: I know, right? I, I think we got to take everything we just said back. <laughs>
1: We might, we might. It's been a while. (laughs) We're relearning today.
0: (laughs) I know. We're like, uh, if we do have a season two, it's going to be a little clunky before it gets smooth, y'all. Just uh, (laughs) hang in there with us. Anyways, what was your question?
1: Yeah, like what's what's been like your main takeaway through this first season? I know you've done podcasting in the past, and I mean... You've done it by yourself a lot more. So I guess it's probably a big change having me, the plus one there with every episode. Like, how's how's that been for you?
0: My favorite part about this podcast is that when I listen to it again, I genuinely enjoy it. Like, I really enjoy our conversations. I enjoy the facts that we bring up. I enjoy the turns and twists that we organically kind of go down because there is nothing like this that I've done especially because we're in two different stages of life. So I love that, that I can give you the like, what does the entrepreneur 30 year old version of the money conversation look like? And you could tell me like, what does the first job out of college, young professional version of the money story look like? And then we could reach out to different people in our circles and get what is being a parent look like? What is being a manager of a team look like? What is being a CEO look like? So I really love how this podcast has opened the door to these conversations that I think more people need to be having. And if they cannot have themselves, can listen to through us.
1: Through us. And we've done it. And honestly, Joe, one thing I did notice is that I'm a lot more honest than I thought I was going to be about my personal life in this podcast, which is a good thing, but like listening over, I'm like, wow, I I'm really just letting it all hang out,
0: <laughs> dude. And me too. I'm like, oh my god, like I can't believe right. I exposed myself. But it, I think that's the point, right? Like we were determined in episode one to unpack our money baggage. We said that, and we did it, and we'll continue to do it, hopefully, whether on the show or personally. And I'll probably just call you and be like, hey, you want to talk about money for an hour, Zave? Like, I'll just do that with you from now on, because I love it.
1: Totally. I still have a lot to unpack.
0: (laughs) Okay, good. So we're just getting started. Without further ado, let's kick it off. Episode 12. Here we go. Welcome to Money Baggage, a financial literacy podcast brought to you by Hightower Advisors to spread knowledge about something that affects us all. Money. We're your hosts, Joe Franco. And I'm Zave. And we're on an investigation to learn how to strategically deal with our money baggage.
1: We'll cover everything from debt to savings to credit cards to self-investment to grow our money mindset. It's our hope here to help the next generation when it comes to growing their financial independence.
0: Knowledge is wealth, y'all. So let's handle this money baggage. Season recap. Hit me, Season Zave. recap.
1: Here we go. So we have had so many fun episodes, Joe. I can't wait to hear your favorite. I can't wait to tell my own favorite. But we started off with episode one, right? And it was just unpacking our money baggage. What's our money narrative? And honestly, I think it's changed a little bit for me since doing this podcast. So that's been cool to see a little bit.
0: How has your money narrative changed? I didn't realize drastic change has happened.
1: I don't know if I, okay, maybe not necessarily my money narrative, but like I'm much more intentional with my purchases. I'm much more intentional with my savings. I've just become much more intentional. I think I was hashtag adulting. And now I'm, I'm not all the way there, but I'm definitely closer than I was 12 weeks ago.
0: So wait, wait, wait. Do you think that just having these conversations has made you think about it more or was it the research or was it a combination of everything?
1: Uh, Yeah. A little bit of that, just like talking to you about it. And honestly, just airing out my own money baggage has kind of made me become more self-aware, putting it on the table for everyone to hear definitely made me have to do some soul searching a little bit and realize that there's things that need to change a little bit, you know?
0: See, I love that. And I agree because I think we can get caught in this fixed mindset of where we are in life as though that's where we will always be, which is very false. So for me, example, like on the show, for me, my journey, my money narrative I feel similar to you. Like, I think I've done great things financially in my life, but now I'm falling into habits and patterns with my money that I'm like, hmm, if I don't take inventory of this, know that it's happening, like be aware of it and then address it. I could pivot down the wrong path financially speaking. So for me, the biggest takeaway about my money narrative for this show is like, just because you can do certain things financially sound or like just because you can make sound decisions at one point in your life does not mean that you are always going to be making the best money decisions. Totally. And also my situation is completely changing because I'm an entrepreneur who now not only works you know, I pay my own bills, but now I'm paying the bills of many other freelancers who work under me. And so this is a new chapter for me. And having this show, asking myself these questions about debt and savings and investing, given my new situation in life has been really helpful. Because again, you could do this work when you're at one stage in your life, but you need to do this work and ask yourself these questions at every stage in your life, especially the big ones where things change.
1: Totally. I think the best way to look in the mirror sometimes for me anyways, is airing it out. And I think doing this podcast has really helped me do that. So here we are. I think it's all been good things though. This The money narrative has been good changing, not bad. You're like, what happened? <laughs> I know, right? It's,
0: it's really good. I think the awareness of it and and knowing what to look out for has been really good because I didn't know I was making all these silly little purchases that were adding up to big things. And that goes back to what I was saying, like, just because I can buy my house in cash and make investments at a younger age doesn't mean that I'm making the best decisions all around. So it's this series, especially with all of the variety of topics that we covered, gave me this like big whiteboard of all of the categories that I could spend money and that I am spending money and gave me a big overview of like, okay, we can improve here. This is where we need to take a better look and do something about this bad habit. So yes, if you haven't listened to every single episode, this is your cue to listen because we cover those topics for a reason to give everybody a wide variety of how money baggage affects us all in all different kinds of topics.
1: Preach, Joe, preach. (laughs)
0: Kid, you know, Um, it's been a few weeks since we recorded and I'm just like, damn, okay, I think I'm ready to go now. Now we just started the episode.
1: The rust is rubbed off. We're we're here now. (laughs) Okay, so I'll just go down the list here and, and just recap a couple of the episodes that we've done. We did, you know, debt, savings, credit cards, student loans, caregiving, budgeting, compound interest, money education, retail therapy. That was a tough one for me. (laughs) I love that one. It's maybe my favorite. It's just, I felt so seen though.
0: And then episode 11, which you weren't in, but you will listen to was really, really cool. Just having a chat with somebody who's in a different stage in his life and is a boss and how a lot of the things we don't consider relevant to our money, like who we decide to marry is very key, right? Like, so that's episode 11 is about self-investments and all of the soft skills or kind of hidden superpowers that we all have be it your curiosity or your cultural background that help carve a special path for you in the world and how you can live like a boss cuz that's who I interviewed Grinder's a boss so that's episode 11 and of course here we are today for episode 12 where we will highlight our favorite episodes talk about the facts that we thought were crazy tell you about what we want to see from season 2 and other fun questions so i'm going to start By asking you, what was your favorite episode and why?
1: My favorite episode, it was the retail therapy episode, Joe, for a couple of reasons, right? I think it just, seeing the stats of how many people practice retail therapy, of how many people struggle with this like shopping addiction thing kind of made me take some comfort in the fact that like, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not doing, I'm not the only one that retail therapies all the time, but it also exposed a lot of the negative aspects of it. It helped me feel seen, not alone, and it also showed me the good things about retail therapy because if you do it responsibly, it can be something that you practice frequently just in a responsible sense, right?
0: Yeah, right. Like You don't actually need to click buy and your body will still trigger the nice, good hormones that make you feel great and like you're in control. (laughs) To me, that episode really shed some light. Like, I was shocked. I was very shocked to see that The reason retail therapy is so powerful is because it gives us a feeling of control again. And a lot of times, if our life isn't going the way that we want it to go or things are crushing us and they're seemingly out of our control, we want to take back control. And the idea that we do that through purchases was really interesting to me.
1: And I will say the one thing that I've done since that's different is I have been going a lot more to these nice, nice boutiques. Like I went to the Burberry store not that long ago and uh, tried on a couple of things. I didn't buy anything, but I felt like a baller, and I was, I was, I was in control, and it, it did everything I needed to do without having to make a stupid purchase.
0: So we got to start a new movement: window shopping therapy.
1: <laughs> window shopping therapy—it's the way to <laughs> um, go.
0: Literally, you get all the benefits without the debt.
1: So, what was your favorite episode this season?
0: My favorite episode was the one about caregiving, which was episode six, how expensive it is to have kids. And not necessarily because of the children part of it, although the facts in that episode shocked me, like how expensive it is to raise a child. I'd always conceptually thought about how I always wanted to be a millionaire before I had kids. That was my slogan and tagline. Anytime somebody was like, Joe, you want to have kids? I'm like, shoot, yeah, once I'm a millionaire. And then when we did the stats, I'm like, Damn, I'm genuinely onto something with that slogan because kids are damn expensive. (laughs) But beyond the kids being expensive part, what I loved about that episode is the baton of like how first you're the kid and your parents are taking care of you, but then you're the adult and then you're helping the kids if they're your own, of course. And even if they're not your own kids, like you're, you're educating your little niece and nephews about money. That's me. You're seeing your friends have kids and you're trying to be a role model for them and help them be a setup for their future as possible. So as an adult, your money narrative obviously changes. And then being the adult, having to care for not only the younger generation, but the older generation is really interesting where you start thinking about nursing homes and assisted care for your parents and grandparents. That episode was my favorite because it shows the spectrum of life and how money is so powerful prevalent in all stages of life. Like this is not something that we could just stop thinking or talking about. And I think as we get into our 30s and 40s, it's even more intense. Like we got to really start thinking about this because then you're getting pulled in both directions, helping the younger generation and the older generation.
1: I've thought about having a kid obviously sometime in the future and I knew it was expensive, but I did not know it was that expensive, which completely blew my mind. But the other end of things like having to maybe take care of your parents once they get old and help them get into a living place or moving in with you, whatever it is, just something that never really crossed my mind at all. And it's so, so expensive. It's, it's conversations that kind of need to be had a lot earlier than you would think, right?
0: Well, yeah, that's actually one of the ones I'm really glad we had because I'm already in that stage of life where my, you know, my dad's 65 and is needing a little bit more of our help and mom too. Like when I bought my house, it was to help my mom. So I think I entered that conversation earlier than my friends, but it is a conversation that we should be having a lot sooner so that it doesn't blindside you. How do you say that? Blindside you? Blindsight you? What is that?
1: <laughs> I know blindside. it's blindside because <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there's a movie I think called The Blindside.
0: Okay, yes, yeah, so it doesn't blindside you it's like uh, English as a second language. Anyways, we need to be having these conversations sooner, and it'll be really cool to be able to start that dialogue for people who listen in, or to make people who are going through that tough scenario of having to care for two generations and themselves. A feeling of comfort, like to say, you're not alone. This is real. And it will affect all of us at one point or another because time will go on and our parents will get older. And I mean, you know, if you have that relationship where it's expected you care for them, it's going to be something you think about.
1: Right. You don't want to have that moment when you like call your parents and you're like, hey, like, what's your guys' plan after you retire? And they're like, what do you mean? We're packing up or moving in with you like next week. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> so maybe yeah. just get these and conversations out of the way.
0: Literally, talk about it. And then you bring up a good point. Like if your parents move in with you and let's say you're married, you have to think about your spouse's parents too. So as I date now, I'm in my 30s and I'm like, well, damn, anybody who I date, I need to understand their family life and their dynamics. And if they're expected to take care of their parents, because if you are together in partnership, even if you're not married, but if you're in a partnership, it's going to be a part of your life. Like that person's family situation will be a part of your life. You know, I hear a lot of older married couples, I hear it from a lot of the parents of my friends, they've had really rough times in their fifties because that's when their parents got older. And a lot of times you have four parents at once needing your support. And so these are the things that our conversations have made me think about. And it's good to know what to think about so that you know what questions to ask, like Y'all got a family care plan before you go like Tinder first date. I'm like, so what are we going to do about your parents when they get older?
1: Right, right. (laughs) So that is just on the next bullet here. That's definitely the episode that I knew the least about. How expensive it is to have a kid, how expensive like colleges on average, how expensive retirement homes are. I was like mind blown after mind blown after mind blown doing the research for that one. Was there an episode that you feel like eye-opener for you?
0: Eye-opening episode, I think it was the savings episode. I also agree with you that the caregiving one was very shocking because I didn't understand the numbers behind how expensive it is. And also it was shocking in the sense that I'm like, damn, people have been having kids for centuries and for, you know, the history of mankind. How are they affording this was like my shock value. (laughs) And then the other episode that really shocked me was the savings episode, because, you know, you see the grim reality that a lot of people can't afford the most basic but urgent costs because our life is so expensive, especially here in the States, that you're living paycheck to paycheck. So I think it was shocking for me to be like, damn, people really aren't taught how to maximize their savings because they're in survival mode. And yeah, it's kind of a bummer. It really is. Because as I think about wanting to encourage people to thrive, it's like you really can't thrive if you're too busy surviving.
1: No, 100%. I mean, those two episodes kind of combined is like there's kids everywhere. But at the same time, I think the stat was like 56% of Americans like couldn't afford an unexpected like thousand dollar bill or something like that, right? And so it's like, on one end, kids are six figures, but so many people don't have the savings and stuff like that. So it's just like scary stuff, scary stuff.
0: It's scary. And then the other episode that really shocked me, these are now digging into like expensive looking stats. The shocking stats is the student loan episode, episode five, where we have $1.78 trillion of student loan debt circulating in the USA. And that is is already a daunting statistic, but then even greater to me, like the shock was even greater when I realized 2.6 million borrowers who are 62 years old and up still have student loan debt. So it's like, now you're talking about having a debt bill from when you were 20 to when you're over 60 years old. Like that to me was shocking.
1: Like retired from the job that you've been working for so many years, From the degree that you got, that you took out the loans for, and you're still paying them off after you leave the workforce, it's so scary.
0: (laughs) Right? So anyways, yeah. What about you? Any other shocking stats?
1: Yeah. Okay. This one kind of blew my mind a little bit too, was that in 28 U.S. states, the annual cost of childcare exceeds the cost of college tuition. Like, oh my gosh, right?
0: Damn, we realized you were actually getting a discount when you send your kids to college because they're so much more expensive when they're in your house.
1: It just seems so unexpected. Like, because that's what everyone's saying is like, you save up for your kids' college, college fund, college fund. No, it's more expensive to just raise them than it is to put them in college.
0: That is so crazy because that means it's like $20,000 a year for childcare and I'm assuming that this is like younger childcare like daycare and and things like that. That one really shocked me. Again, back to my number one thought, like, how y'all are affording these children?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is there like some kind of secret club that people are just making money to raise kids? Because I don't get it.
0: (laughs) Well, it's very inspiring for all the parents listening. Like, no, I respect the hell out of you. It's so inspiring. I think about my mom raising three kids, plus my cousin who came and lived with us for four years. Like, how did she do that as a nanny and house cleaner. I'm like, wow, that is crazy.
1: Take a sec here to just thank, thank our parents for, for everything they've done here because it was not cheap.
0: <laughs> parents were caregivers, right? Like anybody who helps raise a child, because I know a lot of people might not have the best relationships with their parents or they were raised by aunts, uncles, cousins, people who just stepped in this is where you really start seeing it does take a village financially. You got to get a village's wallet to be able to raise your kids. But it gives me a little bit more empathy for all the parents listening. And we're glad that you're listening. So hopefully you feel supported, but also you got some tips on how to educate your kids about money that I hope we can keep sharing as we progress in the money baggage (laughs) ecosystem.
1: (laughs) Oh, totally. So Joe, we, uh, We've talked a little bit about it already for me. And just like us unpacking the money baggage throughout these 12 episodes, right? Was there an episode specific that you felt like the most exposed or the most seen or?
0: I'm smiling over here because I thought you were going to answer this, but you did not. I felt most exposed in the retail therapy episode, which is so funny because we were going to film this episode. I'm like, oh, it's going to be all about you, Zafe. And as I'm talking, I'm like, well, damn, I have a lot of uh, shopping habits that I got to think about. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I just got stressed out from work and decided to go online shopping. And that was when I confessed that I went online shopping, put things in the cart, never bought them, which apparently was a good thing. But I was exposed because I'm like, I didn't even realize that I had retail therapy tendencies. And lo and behold, yes, I do.
1: Right. But at least some of them were the positive retail therapy. Like the suggestions that we found in research were some of the ones you already do. So that's a plus. But
0: We were both exposed, absolutely exposed. But as somebody who loves getting to the root of things, it's cool now to realize if I have that urge to go online shopping or to just go to TJ Maxx down the street, which, by the way, is something I do when I'm stressed out, I know that there's a root problem there that needs to be addressed. And that is what that episode taught me. It's like there's a genuinely psychological reason that I am in distress and feel the need to go by another hairbrush. I don't even use hairbrushes, by the way, for $7.99 at the store. like There's a reason (laughs) I'm doing that. It's not because I need it. It's because I need something else, which is something that is deeper than buying something stupid I don't need.
1: (laughs) Sure. I was going to put the retail therapy episode for most exposed, but I didn't because it's not. That's the one thing for me this season that is not new. It's not news. It's something that I've, I've known about myself for a really long time. So it definitely, like, I had the floor to explain it, but I've known about the retail therapy thing for a while for myself now.
0: So then what was the episode you would choose this season to be even more exposed? <laughs>
1: <Ooh>. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's a good question. I gotta, I gotta think about that one. I gotta think about that one.
0: Well, we'll get to that next season. But in this season of all the topics that we covered, was there a secondary episode that made you feel exposed?
1: Definitely. And I, and I put budgeting and I think this was big, like transitional period of life of going from college to adulthood. And I think before we started talking about it, I thought I was doing a much better job of budgeting than I actually was because I was able to eat out. I was able to pay my bills. But I wasn't able to like save that much. And then when I started really looking at what I was spending my money on, or if I had, you know, an unexpected big purchase to make, it would hurt a lot more than had I been budgeting a little bit smarter. So I really felt, I really felt seen. It was one of the biggest ones, eye openers for me this season of just taking that next step in budgeting. Like it's not just about this day to day rent eating out, cooking, shopping. Like, it's not about that as much now. It's time to look a little bit further into the future. So I think that was probably my biggest one this season.
0: I like that. Yeah, I feel like every time we talked about your dining habits, you were like, yep, that's my name. I'm the front <laughs> man. Don't wear it out. And I'm like, damn kid, are you thinking about these bills? Like, So I'm glad that we were able to talk about that. I think the budgeting episode was the one I'm, not that I knew the least about, but the one that I don't take as much of a priority in in the sense of like, I do not budget. And I talked about that in the episode. I don't really budget. And I think it's good and bad. It's good because I'm like a free spirit, but it's bad because I actually stress myself out more thinking I don't have enough money in scarcity mindset than if I just sat down, looked at the reality of the finances that I have and budgeted. I think budgeting, once we did that episode, I started looking at it as a way to find a little bit more peace in my money. Because I think budgeting is usually marketed as like, you don't have enough money, budget. But I think budgeting has two things that it does. Yes, it helps you if you are trying to stay frugal and if you're trying to save money, but it also helps buy you space, mental space. For instance, I'm always working and I'm always working because I'm in scarcity mindset. Because again, going back to episode one, my money narrative was I didn't have enough growing up. We didn't have enough. But then it actually backfires because I'm always working and I never give myself time to think. And the greatest inventions and innovations come from space and time to think. Like there's a reason why philosophers were all men. It's because they weren't the ones raising the children and they had all (laughs) the time in the world to sit in the cafes and just think right? Like women were too busy rearing children. So you're like, okay, if I never give myself time, I will never think of the next big ideas. I'll never like think about the innovation that I could bring to myself. So budgeting will allow me to actually budget not only my money and understand where it's going, but budget my time too.
1: Totally. There's two types of people in the world, right? There's the types of people that are full-blown, like, let me just spreadsheet every day everything I buy. And then there's the people that don't really do. And I think, honestly, I think both sides could learn a little bit from each other. I'm really trying to find the middle ground because I definitely, by nature, lean the way that you do of not really putting everything down. And I think it's just started with Tracking every purchase I make and taking it day by day, like just committing to saying you're going to do it forever is never going to work. But saying like, I'm going to do it for a week straight and then it's a lot easier to accomplish, right? Take your time with it.
0: I think overall, too, it's visibility. Like anytime I'm super anxious about my money, it's because I haven't sat down and looked at the reality of what is happening in my finances. And a lot of people are scared of looking because they're scared of what they might find. But that always comforts me in the sense of like, just tell me what it is and I'll solve the problem. You know, those people that avoid, like they don't want the diagnosis. They don't want to know the reality because it's like ignorance is bliss. I'm like, yeah, ignorance is bliss unless your anxiety about uncertainty kills you before the ignorance (laughs) like makes you feel good. You know what I'm saying?
1: No, 100%. Have you ever had that moment where you like take a look? After like a couple weeks, a month, whatever, and, and been like, oh man, I need to, I need to relax a little bit.
0: Hell yeah! And it's been on this journey of me hiring people, and now thinking about the money I'm spending. I'm investing in in my team. I'm investing in services like in tech platforms that are gonna hopefully return. I think being a startup founder is really scary. It is because it's not just a solopreneur act anymore. Like, I'm not making money just for me anymore. I speak in we, even though I'm the 100% CEO founder, I make the ultimate decisions. But when you have a team that you're paying and who are investing in you with their time, their ideas and their emotions, like that means something to me. And so when it comes to my money baggage, it's bigger than just me now. It's not about me, as we said in the beginning, like it's really not about me anymore.
1: No, for sure. That's honestly so exciting for you, too, because you're kind of entering this period where you're like, you're obviously learning, doing your budget personally, but now you're doing like organizational budgeting, which I'm sure is so much different, right?
0: I got a spreadsheet with so many formulas. I'm like, all right. I plug in this number and here's my gross margin. Here's what we could hire people and pay them. It's really crazy, but the fundamentals are all the same. And it's cool because I was able to kind of translate what I do in my personal life to my business life with a few extra bells and whistles. But the math is essentially the same. You always want to make more than you spend. And that's essentially the game.
1: Episode 12, am I right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> episode 12 <12's laughs> feeling a little weird because we don't want to end the show. I think that's why.
1: We're both getting nostalgic and sad, I think, is, is the biggest thing. But I think I there's, there's big hope here for season two. I think there's huge hope, right?
0: Fingers crossed. Zave, even if we're just making this show, me and you in a shoebox, I'll still have a good time.
1: Absolutely. Oh, we'll have so much fun. So speaking of season two, Joe... First of all, what's an episode that you would like to see a part two in of season two? Because I feel like a lot of episodes we've been like, oh, we should do part two of this. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think all of them. I have so many ideas for what those could look like. But I think the number one episode I really want to extend the conversation about is teaching kids about money because one, I remember feeling so blind to money. And if you feel blind to it, you don't feel empowered But two, the crazy stat that we pulled up that as of 2022, only 22.7% of high school students in the US have guaranteed access to personal finance courses, where yes, that's an improvement because it used to only be 16% in 2018, but still, that's less than a quarter of young Americans getting access to this mandatory personal financing kind of education. And I'm like, we got to do better. So I really want to keep talking about how to get education in the hands of young people and ways to make it real for them. Because maybe they're not paying a team of 10. But again, the foundations are the same. The foundations are really the same. And I always love the idea of young entrepreneurship because young entrepreneurship shows you real world consequences like Mr. What was his name? Your teacher.
1: Mr. Hoon. <laughs> yeah. Mr.
0: Hoon, I knew it started with an H. Yeah, like Mr. Hoon, like I want to talk to teachers and administrators in schools who are creating these really innovative programs like Mr. Hoon to start that, you know, buying, selling. What was it, a school store in the classroom initiative?
1: Yeah, we had a full like school store incentivized. We all had like different positions. It was super awesome organizationally right there was an org chart and everything it was crazy
0: see yeah like I want that and think about all the classes that you've taken in your years in school that resonated with you
1: why oh because it was real world experience at such a young age I feel like I I don't want to call it experience but exposure and teaching and I see it in my day-to-day now what I saw in fourth grade in Mr. Hoon's class and shout out to him I hope he's listening
0: Mr. H- can you please send him this episode?
1: <laughs> I will. I'll find his email somewhere.
0: <laughs> I think it's the sense of empowerment, right? Like, think about fourth grader Zave. Why was that such a cool experience? I mean, for me, when I had access to things like that, it was because I was like, oh, if I do X, the outcome will be Y. And, you know, like, if I show up and I work at the school store and sell two bagels then 20 cents per bagel will go into the fund to buy plane tickets to fly us to the leadership conference. It was like a real tangible outcome that I don't think we get to see as kids as often as we should.
1: No, definitely. It incentivized a bunch of things. And I think, I mean, on your end, because young Jo was running her own school store (laughs) on the side in real life. Right. So I think it's the similar vibe of that, like kind of real world experience at such a young age.
0: Well, I'm like, which one? The bracelet selling in the recess floor or or the school store selling bagels?
1: (laughs) The bracelets.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The bracelets. Oh God. I, I actually want to make a bracelet soon. So what about you? What was an episode that you really want to see part two on?
1: I mean, it's just such a prevalent thing right now in today's in today's world. Um, student loans, it's changed since the last time we've talked about it. It's changing every day. It's still very unknown. I think by the time second season would start, there'd be a lot of updates to student loans. I think for, for the student loan episode we did this season was a lot more about what's going on currently. And I think we could do an episode of ways to tackle those student loans, uh, some strategies to get things going. Because me included. I know there's a lot of people out there that are very, very stressed about student loans kicking back in.
0: I would love to do that because, yes, student loan debt is crippling. We're sending big hugs to everybody dealing (laughs) with the uncertainty of the future. But yes, if we can, we will come back with more reporting on student loans and the current situation. And, you know, not to put a damper on it, but we do got to wrap up. So if there is a season two. What topics do you want to cover so I can add it to my massive spreadsheet of ideas?
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I think, what did we talk about? I thought of like side hustles. That's a fun one, right? Like how to make your money on the side. Because I would love to hear your entrepreneurial, obviously, ways of doing that. Home ownership. You bought your house in cash, Joe. We've heard that story. I want to hear it again. (laughs) Um. Oh and in work negotiations. That's a big one for me, maybe right now even. I don't know. It's just something to always think about that you never really learn like raise salary stuff like that is probably probably the big one for me. What about you?
0: That would be so good. I would love to do all those episodes. Again, I'm not even lying. I guess I'm a spreadsheet person cuz I really do. I've started <laughs> racking up the ideas. We're going to need a season 3 at this point. But so my <laughs> my uh Topics of request for season two would be all of the ones you just said, plus I really want to talk about the creator economy, the idea of making money as a creative, like creative money making, which I guess could be a little bit of the side hustles, but not so much as side hustles as your full blown job, since that's the world I've been living in for the last decade. I want to talk about subscriptions, like the subscription economy that we're in, how there's a subscription for literally everything. And I think that episode will be the one I feel most exposed by. And I think we (laughs) should start that episode by counting how many subscriptions we are subscribed to because I'ma be seen. okay? aside from that, I would love to talk about salary transparency because there's a lot of interesting news going around on states making it a requirement for companies with over a certain amount of employees to list the salary range and I love that topic because it allows us to have smarter negotiations and to see what we're really worth like my brother actually asked for a lot more money when he was changing jobs cuz he he was in New York state and that's one of the states that made it required to list the salary and he was like wait I'm getting completely underpaid so I would love to talk about salaries and being fair to employees. And I guess the last one, which is a heavy topic, would be taxes, which I know is unsexy. But taxes (laughs) are something that we also don't learn too much about that is one of those things that the wealthy really know their ins and outs of, or they have a really solid accountant that can guide them to, you know, maximize their investments, maximize those 401ks that we kind of talked about.
1: (laughs) I mean, taxes don't sound sexy, but we're gonna make them sexy, okay? (laughs) We're gonna make taxes sexy, and I cannot wait.
0: Thank you so much, Zave. You've been an amazing co-host. Genuinely, it's been such an honor to hang out with you all these episodes.
1: No, Joe, honestly, it's been it's been so fun. And and I'm forever grateful for you just showing me the ropes of this whole podcasting thing, unpacking the money baggage to me. I appreciate you being so transparent. It's helped me be so transparent. So it's been so much fun. I'm very grateful.
0: Zave, do I hear your voice quivering? Could you get an emotional?
1: <laughs> it's just, no, it's just excitement for season two. That's all.
0: <laughs> okay, good. Let's end it on smiles. <laughs> Genuinely, thank you to uh, The vulnerability has been very inspiring and I will listen to these episodes back for my own personal enjoyment. Just know that you have a great podcasting voice and the future is bright on the audio
1: waves. <laughs> oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> Ready to close it out one last time?
1: Let's do it. Let's end with a bang, season 12 or oh, episode 12.
0: Wow, season 12. Season <laughs> like damn, 12 we went food. from season two to twelve. <laughs> Real quick. Who knows?
1: Just end the season with one last mistake. Why don't we, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think this episode goes into the Hall of Fame of like most mistakes, but hilarious. So I'm grateful to end on that silly note. Thank you so much for listening to Money Baggage, a podcast brought to you by High Tower Advisors to bring financial literacy to everyone listening.
1: Don't forget to give our show five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Again, season two may be on the way. Slide into Joe's DMs. Ask her any questions about money. What topics you want to see next season at Joe underscore Franco.
0: And we may or may not be back for season two. But if we're not, just know that you could always listen to our episodes again and again. And uh, yes, definitely send me a DM so we can see what we do about getting a next season. Because I really think that these are the conversations that need to be had. And I love talking to Zave. So that's my selfish requirement. Um, That's it on our end. Thank you for listening to Money Baggage.
1: Bye. (laughs) You're like, bye, bye. (laughs) This podcast is a simulation and is for educational purposes only. Joe Franco is presenting the information in this podcast in her capacity as a consultant to Hightower Holding, LLC and its affiliates and subsidiaries and not as an actual client of Hightower Advisors, LLC. The material provided in this podcast is prepared and researched by its author and does not service as an endorsement or a reflection of the views of Hightower Holding, LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower does not make any representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of the information contained herein. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FNIRA-SIPC.